I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. Hear now God's word, for he does indeed speak through it. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do confess that this is indeed your word, and we ask for your light, of your illuminating light, that we might understand your word, that we might apply it to our hearts. Would you shine into our hearts and expose any untruth, any latent sins that need to be confessed or dealt with? And would you shine the light of your grace upon us as well? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Be sure to maintain noise and light discipline, they said. Of course, I had no idea what that meant. I was a college freshman on my very first Army ROTC field training exercise, about to go on our very first patrolling exercise. We were all camoed up. We had the face paint on. We had our weapons in hand with no bullets. We had our rucksacks packed with everything that we needed, and we were about to conduct a raid as the sun was setting, uh, a raid on an enemy base that was probably staffed with some seniors who were goofing around or doing something silly as they waited for us to attack. But the juniors who were leading this patrol were going to be evaluated for their leadership uh, capabilities, and when you are conducting a raid, uh, maintaining the element of surprise is important. And so they said to us, be sure to maintain noise and light discipline, which means keep quiet and don't shine any lights. Because in the stillness of the night, every sound travels very easily. So we were only allowed to whisper or speak in any uh, muted tones. But more than that, we had to be careful not to shine any lights. We had to cover up any shining surfaces in case there was any amount of light that glimmered off it. We had red, red lens caps on our flashlights, and, um, and we had to avoid this at all costs because uh, we wanted to maintain that element of surprise. But as was invariably the case, there was always somebody that forgot, and if there's something that's unmistakable in the midst of a pitch black night, it is the bright light of a white flashlight shining into the darkness. In the battle between light and darkness, light always wins. Um, beloved, the, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly a story of light versus darkness. As we just read from 
John chapter 1, Jesus was the light that came into the world and the light and the darkness has not overcome that light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And as Jesus came into the world, Jesus, the light of Jesus Christ pierced the darkness with the incomparable brilliance of his glory. But friends, as we come to this passage, I think the Apostle Paul goes even a step further. Because what he says is that for us who are in Christ, you and me, you are light. You are light. And if we're going to summarize what I think Paul is trying to get at in this passage, it would be this. As the light of Christ shines upon us, we become light. And in turn, we must shine with the love of Christ. The verses 3 to 6 that came right before this, if you remember, the Apostle Paul was talking about these deeds of darkness, these works of darkness that uh, have no place in the, the sons of God because they bring um, God's wrath and they are characteristic of the sons of disobedience. And so Paul picks up from there and he says, Therefore, do not become partners with them, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says you were partners of with them. You were darkness, but now you are light in the world. So he says don't don't be partners with them. And that term means having fellowship, participating in those works of darkness. And he says don't do that anymore. You must separate your life. Your life must be characterized by something differently. You must not associate with that uh, manner of life. It has no place in the church of God. But instead, he says, For you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And it's an interesting way that he says that, isn't it? He doesn't say, For once you were in darkness, but now you are in the light. And he also doesn't say, for once you were darkened in your understanding, which he did say in Ephesians chapter 4, but now you have been enlightened, as he said in Ephesians chapter 1. But he says something much more definitive. He says, you were darkness, but now you are light. You are light. Um, And it's remarkable because Jesus... In John chapter 8, as we read, said, I am the light of the world. But then he also said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. And so we're left scratching our heads saying, how can these both be true? Because there is something very different between the Lord Jesus Christ and us. And yet, what Paul says is that in Christ Jesus, you are light. You are light. And I think we can only understand this in light of everything that the Apostle Paul has said in the book of Ephesians. And his focus, which he has said over and over and over again, is this. That in Christ Jesus, by God's grace, you have been united to him. We have union with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, in his resurrection, in his exaltation, and even in now in his radiating beauty. That we are in, our union with him is so complete that just as he is the light, now 
having come to him, we are that light. And so we are that light. We must be that light. And being in that, being that light means we must behave as that light would behave. We must bear fruit as that light bears fruit. And that's what he says in verses 8 to 10. He says, For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So in verses uh, 3 to 6, he listed these three different sins that characterize the the sons of disobedience. But notice here, he's listing three characteristics that characterize the children of light. He says, all the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And these are heavenly characteristics. These are characteristics of our God. The first one, good, actually has this notion of God's generosity to his people. We see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we talk about God's goodness, it's his generous benevolence towards his people, how he provides, which is striking because it is the opposite of what is characterized in the sons of disobedience, which is covetousness or greed. As if he's saying, as sons of the light, rather than being greedy and hoarding, we are to be generous and good. And these other two characteristics, all that is right and true, it would be, could also be translated righteous and true. These are characteristics of God, of God himself that flow from the fountain of Christ himself. True righteousness and true truth flow from Jesus Christ. And he says that these fruit, this fruit of all that is good or that characterize the children of light is exemplified in Christ Jesus, but now bears its fruit through the children of the light. And so we must live that way. Uh, Verse 10 then continues another way that we ought to be that light. He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, One commentator says that the word try isn't really there. A better translation would be uh, walk as children of light, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Discerning. And it's remarkable, isn't it, Uh, how our God works. We have been given God's word, which instructs us on quite a bit about himself and how we ought to live. But notice he doesn't give, a, he doesn't, uh, give us a specific and exhaustive list of how we ought to live in every circumstance. And rather, he gives us his word, he gives us his spirit, and he says, discern. Discern what is pleasing to our God. So it's not that he hasn't told us what is pleasing. He has indeed told us, and he's shown us in exactly what is pleasing. He has revealed to us his will in his word. And so we ought to know it. If we know how he's communicated himself in his word, we know what is pleasing to him. But he's also shown it to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who was the beloved and pleasing and perfect son of God. And so what he seems to be hinting at is that we have now been given 
that spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, as he says in another book, that we be, would be able to discern what is good. We would, he would want us to work it out, to struggle through it, and in so doing, conform our thinking to his thinking. With not just reading, but also praying, speaking it back to him, working these things out in the circumstances of our lives, developing the muscles of wisdom, true godly wisdom, rather than a full exhaustive list of, well, in this situation, you need to do this. No, he would have us discern what is pleasing to him. He would have us grow into Christ, grow into holiness, not just simply adhere to an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts. It's much richer, actually. So he tells us that we're the light. He tells us to bear the fruit of the light. But then he tells us one other aspect of the light, and perhaps the most important part, and that's that as the light, we must shine the light. We must be the light in its shining characteristics. He says, starting in verse 11, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Um, Sinclair Ferguson says that the Christian life is not merely an aspect of darkness avoidance, but also darkness exposure. We see that right here. He says, do not uh, uh, take no part in these works of darkness, but expose them. So we are both avoiding them, but also exposing them. We'll talk about what that exposing looks like for a second. And then he says, for it... um, is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And this, he kind of begins to hint at the driving force behind this exposure. And what I think he's saying here is not necessarily that we bring shame upon ourselves by speaking of these things. But I think what he's saying is that these things that characterize the works of darkness are so shameful and vile in God's sight that we ought not to uh, be explicit about them. They are things that need to be dealt with and exposed and brought to light. And it's at the same time he's hinting at the seriousness and the severity of these things without being explicit and penning those, the details, the sordid details to the pages of Scripture. And there's intense pastoral care, I think, that is, that is taking place in Paul's writing. He's saying these are shameful without tempting us to feast on the wicked. Um. And so then he says this. He says, For it's shameful to do even the things they, speak, they do in secret, but when anything ex- is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. And so we see that there's a, there's a purpose to this exposing. If we're going to understand the exposing, we have to understand what it's trying to accomplish. And what it seems is that he's saying is that there's a redemptive purpose. He's not, we're not exposing these deeds 
to shame the doer. We're not exposing these deeds to tempt our sensibilities. We're exposing these deeds to bring about redemption. He says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. And he's been saying, you are light in the Lord. And so what he's saying is, we expose the deeds of darkness that those who are living in darkness might they might be exposed and come into the light that they also may become light. It's redemptive in nature. It is part of God's work of bringing from the kingdom of or domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this is confirmed by what he says following this quote. He says, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This language of the sleeper arising from the dead and Christ himself shining on you is redemptive, salvific language that through the work of the sons of light, God is bringing about light to, uh, upon these people. Now this, this quote is perplexing to scholars because uh, where Paul, Paul says, therefore it says is usually used by New Testament writers to refer to an Old Testament quote. Um, but this quote that he uses is nowhere in the Old Testament. Um, there are uh, the closest that we have are a few different verses. Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That was our call to worship. Isaiah 26, verse 19 says, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Uh, Isaiah 9, verse 2, we know this one. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And perhaps even Jonah, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Awake, you sleeper, and rise and call upon your God. You know the quote, that seems almost silly. But these are the closest quotes that scholars have found to this phrase. And yet Paul, by saying, therefore it says is giving it the force of God's infallible word. And what perhaps may have been the case is this may have been the words of a well-known hymn that was rooted in the truths of the gospel as found in the Old Testament. You remember the Apostle Paul ministered to the Ephesians for nearly three years. He knew them. He had instructed them on the whole counsel of God. And he is the one who we'll see next week uh, called the Ephesians to sing and make melody with all of their heart with hymns and, and songs. And it's almost as if he's combining those truth, the truth of the gospel into this statement and, and giving it the force of Scripture. It would be as if uh, we were to say, as it is written or as it is said, when peace like a river attendeth our way, and sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We know that refrain, that refrain is biblical, right, rooted in biblical truth, but not coming uh, right from Scripture. But the point of where, wherever it came from, the point is this. The point is this. Is that it has exposing these deeds of darkness 
as the children of light, has the force, has the intent and the force of us calling into the darkness and saying, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. To come, calling to the one who is dead in their trespasses and sins, calling to the one who is in darkness to come out of the darkness and into the light of Christ to find the joy and safety and security of Christ himself. All right. As we think about this passage, I think it's um, helpful to think about this from a a few different vantage points. Um, In John chapter 3, Jesus said this. He said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. What Paul is saying is that we are the light and that the purpose of the light is to expose those works. So what we can see is that it is God's intent that he has sent light into the world. First, his son, the true light, and now the church as the light to shine into the darkness. So if we're going to be effective at the purpose for which God has put us, it is necessary that we would grow into the true light of Jesus Christ, that we would become brighter, more clear, more pure of a light. Each of us individually um, has elements where we are still hiding in the darkness. And each of us, as we grow up together into Christ, ought to reflect the beauty of that light more clearly and more purely. And it's important for us to recognize that culturally speaking, we can expect, I think, greater hostility to the light. Uh, Jesus said it in John chapter 3, the, the people living in darkness hate the light. And if we are the light, we can expect to be hated. And culturally speaking, I think we're going to see that more and more over the next coming years. And there is inherent conflict between darkness and the light. And it's not simply um, that those who are dwelling in darkness have grown accustomed to the darkness and coming into the light are blinded by the glory of the Lord and just recoil against it. Although I think there is an element of that. The conflict comes because those who are dwelling in darkness do not want their deeds exposed. And if we turn it around, instead of talking about us revealing and rather us being exposed, I think we understand exactly what what this is all about. Because we would assert, and we proclaim week after week, that none of us are perfect, that all of us are sinners, and that we ought to confess our sins to our God, and he would forgive us. And that's absolutely true. And yet, I think we hold it very abstractly in front of us, as though, yes, we're sinners, yes, we're not perfect. And when the, in the text it says that to come into light, those, those deeds are exposed. 
And if you're exposed, that means that you are seen and you know that you are seen and your deeds are seen. And we want the dark deeds of our heart to be exposed before others no more than a cockroach wants to be seen in the bright light of a room. And who is the exposure happening in front of? It's happening in front of the church, the sons of light, the children of light. That means that it's exposed before you and your brothers and your sisters, that they see that darkness coming into the light. And the exposure leaves you feeling naked and shamed. Um, It means that we as the church would speak and live in a way that shines the light of Christ so that the works of darkness are exposed and revealed and seen by one another. And beloved, that is God's design for the church, that we would see these things and that we would deal with them. And we have shame for the things that we have done in the past, that we know, as Paul says, what benefit did you gain from those things of which you're now ashamed? We have that shame. We feel that shame. And we have a reputation to uphold before one another. So the idea of being exposed before one another and seeing that is terrifying. But what I hope you see is that God's design for his holy community is that it would be a purifying community. Because, beloved, I think there is greater grace here among our one another than what we admit and what we tend to see. And I'll put it to you this way. If one of your brothers and sisters here came to you and they confessed a sin of their heart that they were struggling with, how would you respond? Would you, would you recoil in disgust? I doubt it. I think you would rejoice at the opportunity to pray for them to encourage them with God's grace, to encourage them that they are forgiven in Christ Jesus. You would delight in the opportunity to hold them accountable and to build them up. But oh, how we resist being that person to confess to our brothers and sisters. How we resist coming into the light to hear those words of God's grace. And the reality is, uh, if we're totally honest, is that that fear of shame and, and embarrassment is a real fear. And it's, it is justified. And I know this because some of us have gone through that humbling experience and painful experience of confessing our sins to one another. And there's nothing fun about admitting those things that you can't take back, those things that you are ashamed of, those things you can't fix. But even in that humbling act of being unmasked as exactly what we confess, I hope for those of us who have been through that, I hope what you heard is that the God who sees and knows these things, the God who has given you the courage to confess, 
through your brother and sister, confirmed his forgiving grace. Confirmed that you have people that will walk alongside you in the midst of the struggles that we all face. And what's more, the sh- be encouraged by this. The shame that you feel, the hatred that you have of the things that you have done in the past, that shame and that hatred is most certainly a work of God's Spirit, the sovereign grace of God shining His light into your heart to reveal the wickedness of that thing. Not to make you feel that shame, but so that that shame would drive you to the Christ who clothes you with His shame and His perfection and His love. And that courage to confess, that is from the grace of God Himself. Because this act of confessing our sins and coming into the light to receive the grace of Jesus Christ is God's appointed means of confirming the forgiveness, the grace of repentance and grace that we have in Christ Jesus. And beloved, this this is salvation. And our God has given us in the church the privilege of being participants and the means of this salvation, to be the light that causes his children to come out of the darkness and find that forgiveness and grace. And what that means, beloved, is that we must be diligent to live in the light. We must be diligent to speak the light, the, the, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We must proclaim that word. We should allow that word uh, to, to permeate everything that we do. But, but it's, beyond, it's beyond what we say and what we do. Because Paul says, you are light. So by our union with Christ Jesus, by being with one another, by being in the world, that light shines. When we are who we are called to be, he has put us into each other's lives to be that light. He has put us into the world to be that light. Beloved, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. But, I mean, it's, we have to be prepared what that means. We have to be prepared that we will be hated by those who are living in darkness and have not yet come to Christ. We have to be prepared that we will face resistance from our brothers and sisters who are still hiding in the darkness and don't want that light shown. But we should also expect that the Lord will shine through us will shine through you. And you should be prepared to love well. You should be prepared to be a spiritual midwife, to receive the children of God as they come into the kingdom of light, that you might love them with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who um, wake up early, and find the right spot. There's something richly rewarding about seeing a sunrise. Um, The transition, uh, you know, God's beautiful creative display is marvelous. He didn't have to do it that way, but he did. And uh, the transition from the dark of night to a a dim light, to the, the dim light 
forming then colors until finally there's a burst of sunlight, the burst of the sun piercing over the horizon into your eyes. It's marvelous. My beloved, our, our God has given us front row seats. His intent is that we would have front row seats to an even greater display of his grace and his creative beauty because he has given, he has made us the light to draw others into the light. And so let us be that light. Let us walk in the light. Let us shine the light. Let us be the children of light and citizens of the kingdom of light that we might glorify his name, we might delight in him forever and ever, and he might be praised through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your marvelous plan. Uh, who would have ever thought of this, that you would take rebels and turn them into agents of your grace, that you would take those who are in darkness and you would allow them to taste your beauty and your wonder. Would you transform us into your light? Teach us what that means. Help us to be faithful in that pursuit. Help us to be effective as we love. Help us to love well. Help us to be bold and courageous. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, beloved, our hymn of response is hymn number 429, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.